Courtside Club is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet, you get with Caesar's Rewards. Must be 21 or older. If you tell me all the healthcare professionals on the sideline and no one saw Tua get up and shake his head and stumble, I- I'm not going to believe it. What's up, you guys? I'm Rachel DeVita, and welcome to the Courtside Club. Today, we have a special episode for you. As you've likely seen, headlines across sports media this week have been highlighting the very scary injury of the Miami Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa, enforcing discussion around the NFL's current concussion protocols, who was to blame for allowing Tua to play on Thursday night, and how do teams and the league do better to keep their players safe? So today, Dr. Gregory Stewart is joining us to help us look deeper into these topics and give us the insight from a medical professional who specializes in sports concussions. Dr. Stewart is chief of the section of physical medicine and rehabilitation and the W. Kennan McWilliams professor in sports medicine at Tulane University in Louisiana. So Dr. Stewart, welcome to the Courtside Club. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So before we dive into this topic, I know that you've been reading the headlines, you've been keeping up on the news, you're a big sports fan yourself, you work with the football team at Tulane, but could you give our courtside club viewers just your background and what you do specialize in? So my specialty is physical medicine and rehabilitation and have done sports-related concussion for 30-plus years. Uh, have taken care of Tulane athletes for 35, 36 years. Uh, concussion management has changed during that time. Uh, and then uh, also take care of a number of former professional athletes as well. So kind of that perspective of both sides. And then here at Tulane, uh, we also uh, have started uh, a brain bank uh, to be able to look a little more in detail uh, at these very topics. Oh, amazing. So obviously, the, the hot topic of the NFL lately is what's been happening with Tua. I want to take it back to Sunday night, because a lot of people are going back to the hit that he took on Sunday, and why was he allowed to be back in the game and play then? And then obviously, we saw what happened on Thursday. But what was your initial reaction when you saw the playback of what happened on Sunday? When you first see that Sunday play and he gets up, kind of grabs his helmet, shakes his head, stumbles a little bit from just standing on sideline or or watching it on TV, uh, certainly at that time felt like that it was a concussion, that this was, uh, was his head. I'm not an NFL physician, not on the sidelines, uh, but at least what you saw was that uh, Miami indicated that he was going in to be evaluated for his head. We're going to fast forward now to Thursday. And you were actually, you said, in Houston with the Tulane football team on Thursday. And you were getting text messages like, did you see what just happened? And, and obviously, from an outsider who doesn't know the intricacies of what happens during a concussion. But when you see somebody fall and you see their arms kind of lock up the way that they did, I think everybody viewing can see, oh, this was serious. So from what you saw then, 
how how could you take what happened Sunday? Does it correlate to what happened Thursday, in your opinion, or was this just a harder hit? First off, when you see what happened on Thursday night and and the hands, it, that's called posturing. And so at that point, you know that this is brain uh, that you're dealing with on on Thursday, and you can see being in the position that they were probably in in the locker room on Sunday. Tua comes in, probably says it's his back, um, probably has had a concussion, may or may not be able to really make his own decisions, uh, but comes in and at the outset says, no, no, not my head, this is my back. Now, this is all conjecture on my part, but having been on the sideline and in the locker room and having lived almost this very experience. So he comes in, no, no, doc, it's not my head. We go into the locker room. You've got the athletic trainer, you've got the team physician, and at the NFL level, you have the UNC, the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant, who's gonna be in the room as well, just watching what's going on. So my guess is you go through the protocol and there's, a, there's, there's a, a, a whole host of things that you do all the way from a symptom checklist to balance and memory and, and a whole bunch of different things that, that you go through. And he tests out well. His balance is everything else tests very similar to his baseline. And at that point, the, the team folks probably look at each other and go, gosh, you know, it certainly looked like it was his head out on the field. He's been fine since he came off the sideline. He's tested normal. He's back to his baseline. What do we do? And so you kind of are, are in a spot where the player is saying, that's not my head. You test and you do everything and everything's normal. So you kind of in a hard spot to come out and say, well, you know, he says it's his back, his tests are all normal, and I'm not gonna let him back in. Now, that's what probably should have happened watching the video, but that's also then the role of the UNC, the Unaffiliated Neurotrauma Consultant, to then step in and potentially say, yeah, you know what, I saw the video, I hear what y'all are saying, I don't think he should go back in because the video certainly looked like it was his head. And had Tua had a breakout game on Thursday, not had an injury, we'd not go back and talk about Sunday anymore either. I mean, we wouldn't be here having this conversation. The Thursday injury is a significant injury, even if Sunday doesn't happen. I mean, he gets whipped around, slammed to the ground, and his head hits the ground, probably would have caused that same injury even had Sunday not happened, or if we go and find out that Sunday really was his back. I have multiple questions. Yes. You talk You talk about the test. That has been something that a lot of former NFL players who are now in the media have come out and talked about. We know what the baseline needs to be that even if we have a concussion we can we can test lower than it needs to be so that we can still get out there and play and and myself 
being an, a lifelong athlete, I understand that when you're in the heat of the moment, the last thing you want to do is come out of the game no matter what. And so is it a test that is easy to pass or if you understand it, you can get through it just enough to, I guess, fool your doctors into letting you back out there? Well, so let's start with, let's go back to Alex Smith. When he was with the 49ers and had his concussion and he came out and said, I'm not ready to go back. Look what happened to him. So it's next man up. So he ends up not playing the next game, end up getting replaced and getting cut. So these guys all understand that, that this is a business at the NFL level. And so it's next man up. So given that understanding and that this is their livelihood and this is what they want to do. They want to play football. That's their job. They enjoy it. That's what they want to do. So having said all of that, yes, the, the, the testing that we do now is not completely subjective, but we don't have any good absolute testing for concussion. Um, you know, I tell people, you know, we're no longer in the infancy of, of concussion management and understanding it, but we're still at the toddler stage. I mean, there's still a lot we do not understand and we don't have really good tests. So we do the best we can. Even in the world of traumatic brain injury, concussion is on the mild end of mild traumatic brain injury. And even that has its own range of, of what's going on. So, and if you've seen and treated one concussion, you've seen and treated one concussion. It's not like an ACL where, okay, you see an ACL, you know what's going on. All right, it's Sunday, you tear your ACL. We're doing x-rays and MRI tomorrow morning. Uh, We're waiting this period of time to do the surgery. This is the kind of surgery that's done. That's not how this is. Some people are going to have light sensitivity. Some people are going to have headaches. Some people are going to have dizziness. Some people are going to have eye problems as far as tracking and not every person has the same symptoms. So it's really all based on the exam, the honesty of the athlete, and trying to to understand what's going on. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odd boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesars Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today, and get more with every win. Wager. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. How careful do you have to be with diagnosing it kind of on a scale and letting somebody get back in with the, the risk of another head injury happening? Great questions. And, and I guess the, the real answer at the beginning is going to be, we don't know. Uh, and that's just the honest answer is that those are the things we're still trying to understand and figure out. We know that different areas of the brain are affected at different times. So 
the memory portion, some of the headache portion and things like that is a different area of the brain than when you actually get knocked out. So you don't have to be knocked out to have had a concussion. And, and that's important to, to know about this as well. You know, one of the things that we think that's kind of the last thing to leave in a concussion is that exertional headache. So you have the headache, you go out and you start practicing or you go out and you start reading or, or doing something like that and the headache starts getting worse then those are the symptoms that we know, okay, you're not ready to, to go back and, and do anything. Why do some people have prolonged symptoms and others don't? Why do some people develop CTE and others clearly not? Why do some people who have some of the changes that we see in the brain with CTE end up with symptoms and other people with similar changes don't have symptoms. And that's some of the stuff that we're really studying and trying to understand. I mean, I think there's a, a strong genetic component that we don't understand. You know, um, you know, you hear out in the media that, oh, you know, you hit your head, you're gonna develop CTE. And then the, the conventional thought is, oh, if you have CTE, you're gonna go crazy and kill yourself. Well, if that's the case, we should have an epidemic of former high school football players committing suicide, and we don't. So there's something else going on, and we don't understand what that something else is. Um, and we're just not there yet. And I think that's where you know a lot of the study goes, a lot of the understanding of concussion uh, goes as well. That's so interesting because obviously from a fan perspective or somebody who's just listening to the media – you hear when any NFL player or former NFL player acts out or gets into trouble or you see kind of this personality change, everybody's screaming CTE and everybody knows that that's very serious and bad, but we don't know much else about it. So it's interesting that you talk about you as a doctor and, and people in your field are also still trying to understand what CTE means, how some players get it and others don't. I think somebody who's been in the news the most, obviously, is Antonio Brown, because we've we've seen a character arc of his that is confusing for some. Would when you see him in the media and see what he's been getting into lately, do you see that as being a cut and dry CTE case? No, no, absolutely not. And, and one of the interesting things is that we see a number of former professional football players. And as we go through early on in that program, we thought this was all going to be about concussion and post-concussion. And what we found is that this is transition in mental health. You have these guys who are paid to run in and hit someone, get up, 15, 30 seconds later, do it all over again. And they go and they hit someone. And if they're disrespected during the week or someone gives them a hard time or something like that, they've got practice and they've got the game that's coming up to be able to take out uh, some of these emotions that they have. And now all of a sudden, they're out. They're no longer uh playing the game they have 
you know, generally, you know, you don't leave the NFL, the NFL leaves you. So most of these people don't retire on their own. They just are cut and they don't make a team. And now they're having to transition into a world that they really haven't prepared for because they've been playing football since high school. So now they have to figure out how to do these things. So their whole world changes uh, in a moment often. They've got a life, they've got a family, they have everything else. So all of that comes into play with how they react. And these guys have potentially had problems before they got into football. So, you know, you've got your your childhood experiences that, that you're bringing in. So we're all unique individuals. And I don't think that you can go and say, oh, someone's acting up. They said something ugly. They got mad. Oh, it's because they hit their head all the time. It could be. But I don't think you can jump to that conclusion as an automatic. So how do we decipher between it being, you know, something that has to do with mental health or past experiences and CTE? I guess, again, the reality is we don't know. Um, But what we do know about CTE is that this is generally something that occurs more distant to uh, to football. You know, this is, this is more than, you know, oh, I've played high school, college, five years professionally. Uh, I've been fine. I stop. Three months later, I'm acting out. Mm, probably not CTE uh, that's, that's causing the, the problems. You know, if this is someone who 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and now really starting to have some problems, okay, then let's start talking about that. The in-between part, we don't know. Um, and, and don't hear me be a CTE denier either. 100% believe it, seen it. You know, we have a brain bank here at Tulane. We've, we've, we've seen this in individuals, but we've had individuals who have had significant memory problems, significant other changes, have passed away, uh, have honored us with the donation of their, their brain, and they've had Alzheimer's. You know, the, 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 the changes that we've seen in the brain were not CTE-like, they were Alzheimer's-like. And it's a very different pattern from, from what we see. So, you know, I, I think from our standpoint, when we're seeing former players, we meet them where they are. So let's figure out what's going on. You know, is this some cognitive decline? Is this mental health? Is this you know, transition issues. And let's treat what we see in one of the programs we have as we've looked, there's an increased incidence of high blood pressure, pre-diabetes and diabetes, elevated cholesterol, sleep problems in former professional athletes. So they have separate risk factors for cognitive decline that you have to treat and you have to make them aware of so they don't just sit back and say, oh, I played football, I hit my head. You know, we've had guys that have come through who feel like, ah, oh, I'm having whatever problems, so I may as well kill myself now because I know eventually I'm going to kill myself. And it's like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait a minute. Let, let's sit back and let's talk about what's going on. And you find out that they have 
low testosterone, they have depression, they have something that's not football related that they have post-traumatic stress from. And it's like, why don't we start taking care of some of these things that we can manage and then let's see where you are. And you start managing those things and all of a sudden they're better. And so it's very multifactorial. And I think to say playing football causes CTE, therefore you're going to have all sorts of psychiatric problems and commit suicide is a huge disservice to this population. Wow. It's so interesting because that's that just goes against kind of what we hear. You know what I mean? So well, it's, it's a very complicated uh, uh, issue and you've really got to take a very holistic approach to look at these guys. Because if you just say it's their brain or you just say it's their low back or you just say it's whatever, you miss the picture and you really have to to dive deep into medical and orthopedic and neurologic and mental health and their spiritual health and, and everything all together. And what you're saying, we should take a step back and holistically look at the picture. Is there anything I would say just to, to tie it up with the concussion protocol that could be better? Or is this just going to take more time in research from a medical perspective? I think some of this is a learning experience. I mean, you go back and you look in the media you know that the Players Association and the league are happy to point fingers at each other and, and barbs at each other, and they're not, which says that this is a very important topic that they really want to get to the bottom line on, uh, and that they're working together behind the scenes to try and figure this out and understand what's going on. And, you know, we said at the beginning, we're still in the toddler stage of concussion management. So we don't know a lot about what's going on. When I started 30 years ago, the way we managed concussion was with an ammonia capsule under their nose. They'd wake up and you go, are you good? And they say, yeah, I'm good. And you say, okay, get back in. And people didn't even come out of play. And that was the standard of care 30, 40 years ago. I mean, it was a badge of honor at that point. And over this 40 years, you know, we now know that this is serious, that this is something we need to, to really look at, that the brain does heal and it takes some time to heal and we have to give it that time. But we don't know whether the time you need for your brain to heal is the same as the time my brain needs to heal. And what does that look like? So we're really kind of doing the best we can. Uh, as you've seen, the, the concussion protocol, even over the last three or four years, continues to evolve. You know, we've gone from uh, this is what you have to do to having uh, an athletic trainer who's up in the booth who can stop the game to a second athletic trainer in the booth to the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant that's on the sidelines, on both sidelines, kind of looking at all of this. You know, and if this were left guard, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation because, you know, you can probably name 80% uh, of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, but you probably can't name the left, the starting left guards of, of all these teams. So Tua's Tua. So it's a different level of, do you put him back in? You know, this is a game changer if he's not in. That should not come into play, but everyone's human in all of this. 
So there is a piece of that that, that happens. And I, I do, Dr. Stewart, want to thank you so much for coming on Courtside Club because I you changed my mind a little bit and helped just inform me about the situation from a fan's perspective, from the media's perspective. We don't know all that's going on on the sidelines or in the doctor's office. And and it's good to just to shed some light on on something that is a very serious topic of conversation. Um, but also to, to help all of us, you know, take a step back and, and trust the professionals and know that it seems like everybody's doing the best that they can with the information that we have. Well, the only other thing, there are probably 10 healthcare professionals on the sideline at an NFL game. Uh, you got the athletic trainers, you got multiple physicians. And at the end of the day, what really needs to happen is some of these healthcare professionals on the sideline absolutely are are emboldened to step on the field, stop the game, and say this person needs to come off. You know, we've added layer on layer, but at the end of the day, if you tell me that people didn't see the Sunday hit and Tua get up and shake his head and stumble, and that there are all the healthcare professionals on the sideline, and no one saw that and thought, ooh, this isn't good, I, I'm not going to believe it. Having all these different people on the sidelines is, is to try and remove some of that heat of the moment, I've got to make this quick decision, that potentially impacts lives of individuals, outcomes of games, outcomes of seasons, and championships, and everything else. So it's a you know, it's not just a uh, a moment in time that they're in the tent and, okay, there is no other pressure on the folks in the tent, is that we're very aware that there's a game going on and our decision is going to impact uh, the game. Dr. Stewart, thank you so much for this conversation this morning, taking time out of your busy day to help inform me, help inform the Courtside Club audience, and hopefully anybody who tunes into this podcast, into this video, will take something away from it. And and we'll see where the NFL goes from here, if there's any changes to the protocols, um, if there's any more information that comes out about Tua's evaluation. And obviously, we're just hoping for everybody's you know, safety and, and health throughout this. But thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. This was great. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.